As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. This is Action and Ambition, the show that takes you all over the world to share interviews with the most successful and relevant people on the planet. Hear their backstory, get the most important lessons they've learned on their road to success, and hear exclusive tips on how to implement their success in your own life. Action and Ambition is brought to you by Entrepreneur Magazine and your host, Andrew Metal. Welcome to the Action and Ambition Podcast. I'm your host today, Chase Geyser, and with us, we have a very special guest, Sneha Biswas. Sneha is a passionate educator who aims to provide every child with an opportunity to become a global leader by bringing Harvard-like learning to children aged 8 to 18 years old. Sneha was born and raised in India and later went on to study at two of the most prestigious universities in the world, IIT and Harvard. Having made this journey from a small town to studying alongside sons and daughters of CEOs and famous leaders at Harvard, Sneha exactly understands what it takes for a child to achieve big dreams in life. Sneha's professional journey took her to the USA, Mumbai, London, and Africa, where she led large global teams at organizations such as uh, Schlumberger, Teach for India, Bain & Company. She has used this experience to establish early steps. While at Harvard, Sneha had started Early Steps Academy, a global education venture, bringing a disruptive curriculum of 1,000-plus modern essential subjects for school children, making them 10x confident in the real world. Sneha has more than 200 awards in debates and elocutions and has spoken at various international conferences in Europe and America. In a recent TEDx talk, Sneha spoke about her mission to revolutionize what and how children learn in the 21st century. Stan's work and life experiences have been featured in various global publications, such as BBC, Your Story, NDTV, Money Control, and more. It is an honor and a pleasure to have you on the Action and Ambition podcast. How are you today? Hey, thank you so much. Yeah, it's a pleasure being here. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks. So where does this, uh, this story begin for you? One of the questions I like to, to begin with is, where was your mind at when you graduated from the equivalent of high school? <laughs> right, right. So, uh, got a long time back, yeah. So, I grew up mm -hmm. in India, in a small town in eastern India, mm -hmm. where uh, one would think that uh, given a smaller place, the opportunities are limited, but there was a very different way in which I was raised, and particularly how my parents uh, raised me in terms of giving me exposure through a lot of reading, participating in various uh, events, and uh, just, just 
having exposure through news and other things. Uh, so when I graduated from high school to going to IIT, IITs are the uh, technical institutes in India. Yeah. So when you are in a place like MIT or IIT, you know, where everybody has qualified the same exam, everybody is very, very sharp, and most people are sharper than you. Uh, mm. <clears throat> you cannot uh, you know, possibly differentiate yourself if you're just good in solving problems on pen and paper. So uh, there was a lot of like edge I saw in my own, like the style in which I was raised, I had a lot of edge uh, in terms of just being more confident in myself, being able to navigate, find better opportunities, just being out uh, seeking better opportunities. So that was like uh, the phase in uh, undergrad. Uh, I obviously like, uh, uh, like most people, yeah, I really enjoyed uh, just making new friends. That was the first time out of home. Uh, then from there, I worked in Teach for India for uh, in Bombay, which was an, like the same under the same umbrella as Teach for America, Teach uh, mm. first in UK, and Teach for China. So there, and then I worked in uh, in an oil field services company called Slumberjay across US, Africa, India, and so that's broadly. <clears throat> The experiences before I went to HBS to do my MBA at Harvard, uh, and yeah, so a lot of the uh, you know early experiences in terms of how I was raised, how that helped me get an edge in not just undergrad but also going forward. Uh, the realization was that there is a lot more that uh, helps people get su uh, successful or whatever your metric of success, like individuals have any different metric, like whatever your metric of success is, that is beyond what you learn just school, just like in core academic subjects. Yeah. And that thread was not common across continents. Yeah. While I was working in Africa, while I was working in the States, uh, people who were getting better opportunities at work or in research or in any field for that matter were people who were just more confident about themselves, people who could navigate their way, speak to people, had their independent sort of like thinking process. So that was uh, my experience that sort of shaped my uh, journey to HBS and it was a place where I uh, experienced uh, what you call gold class of learning. I was just amazed. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if uh, we, uh, this is where uh, you, your question was about the backstory that I grew up and what I did post that. What was your, what, what was it like um, the first time you walked into class at Harvard? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the first time when I uh, attended a Harvard class was when I was not a student. Yeah, I was visiting uh, the campus and I sat in a Harvard classroom. And uh, I had no plans of doing an MBA. Uh, it was just like uh, I was visiting someone and I just sat. It was mind blowing. Like I had like throughout high school, throughout undergrad, I was uh, always, uh, you know, so-called a good student. Uh, I went to one of the best institutions uh, uh, for my undergrad. But I don't really remember looking back at something that I fondly remember that this was so much fun learning, right? Like. School was fun or undergrad was fun because of the friends, because of there were there was a lot of other things that made that experience fun, but not learning. In that classroom, when I sat there at HBS, uh, the learning was fun. Yeah? And also like later, when I joined HBS as a student, later I decided to apply uh, purely because of FOMO, yeah? that I, I found this amazing place where just learning was so much fun and I wanted to learn. 
and uh, i didn't want to regret when i'm like 60 years and <laughs> then i didn't uh, I, I, i got a chance and i didn't try uh yeah. even like as a student right like uh, it was amazing to see people just wake up at 7 in the morning and come to class to audit a class yeah there was no credit involved you can't even speak if you are not an enrolled student for that particular subject uh, you just sit there and listen and learn so it is fascinating how they have cracked beautifully how learning can be fun you don't need bells whistles and carrots uh, for people to come to class it is the core learning that uh, it, it's driven by this uh, very famous case study method of learning which was pioneered at harvard and uh, has been extensively used across the uh, medical school the law school the business school and now in many different parts of the higher ed space so yeah yeah i was mind blown wow and so how has your M- mba directly impacted the work you've done in terms of uh educating every child uh with an opportunity to become a global global leader right right yeah so um so going back to the first uh, bit of the uh, talk today where i was talking about my early experiences so one uh there was a clear understanding in my head that there are certain skills that children from an early age need to know uh which can uh, which i was fortunate to get in terms of how my parents raised me but not every child necessarily is getting it so that was there the second part in the whole journey of the last uh, you know before it started the last 10 years is that the world had changed changed massively like when we were younger um entrepreneurship was not a real world there was no crypto climate seven eight months uh, uh, earlier there was no you know people were not going crazy about metaverse so every day there is a new thing coming up this new research there's a new type of how we work how we consume media how we eat everything is like dramatically and moving like at a super super fast pace so that again like just widens the gap in terms of what children need to be prepared for in the in light of how the world is changing now <clears throat> the, this whole disconnect about the real world where children need to learn something in school and then they need to reprepare or upskill themselves for the real world was a problem in my head that was like a, a big problem when you spend 12 14 years in school you should be ready yeah for the real world and schools are doing a great job yeah given their uh, children are with them only for you know 5 6 hours every day five days a week uh, they are doing a good job but there is a massive gap that and that gap is becoming bigger and bigger as the world is changing faster and faster now at hps one of the things with the case method that i was fascinated about was that um as you would know yeah the case method is uh, it's a case study from a real world so a concept of finance is not taught through uh, just an excel model it will be taught in light of a decision that a cfo probably has had to make in the past and the kind of model that the cfo had to make to resolve the problem at hand so every case study is a real world situation and the concepts are taught based on the real world situation and if you look at uh, traditional academics right through schools through uh, undergrad typically we learn a theory first like we learn about a concept and then months days months or years later we see the application of that concept in the real world uh, so this whole flipped approach where you could combine classroom learning to real world experience was amazing and this in my head could solve this problem of bridging 
uh, the gap even for kids where they learn something in school and then they don't know what the application is in the real world or let's say they don't even learn about half of the things right like crypto space climate so many things are happening so that helped me build the curriculum so what we do at uh uh, the, the venture that I run is called Early Steps Academy. It is for children in ages 8 to 18 to make them 10x confident in the real world. And that confidence comes from uh, two parts. One is the knowledge that kids get uh, or knowledge that one has made, uh, makes one more confident. And the second is how you're able to use that knowledge. Yeah? So for the knowledge bit, we cover a range of modern essential subjects for entrepreneurship, crypto, climate, space, emotional intelligence, having uh, more uh, 21st century skill sets, such as the ability to just think, not having to Google up for everything. Uh, we have developed a sense of critical thinking, uh, being able to communicate your ideas clearly. And then the second part, which is very inspired by my own experiences at HPS, is teaching children this whole uh, approach to problem solving, yeah, where Everything that you learn, every core subject that Early Steps Academy that you learn, you learn through the case study method. And this is uh, in itself disruptive because uh, while the case study method has you know, proven outcomes and everybody knows it, but bringing that powerful method of learning to children, we do it for ages eight onwards, right? Some uh, high achieving seven and a half year olds even. So bringing it to seven and a half, eight year olds the case study method, putting it in the language that children can comprehend, children can understand. And not just understand, the bigger focus is just engage, right? Like children should enjoy learning. So that is like very, very directly driven from my own um, experience of enjoying classroom learning. So the mission, like uh, what we have at Early Steps, yeah, to revolutionize education for the 2 billion school-going kids uh, that are there today. And by making education relevant, there are two, two pillars for us, like everything that a child learns at early steps should be relevant, that is useful. Uh, and the second is engaging, that is fun. So no part of education uh, should be irrelevant. There's no, like, when you're 60, you look back and you think, oh, why did I learn this formula? It shouldn't be. <laughs> and the second is no child should be bored. Yeah, it shouldn't be that uh, a child is spending his or her, even if it's like 30 minutes of your time, it's precious. And we want children to really fall in love with it, with learning about new things. Mm, so where is Early Steps operating now? Uh, yeah, so it's a global program. It's an mm -hmm. uh, online global program. Okay. Uh, we have uh, something with what we call the global classrooms as well, where children from different parts of the world come together and learn together. Yeah? Imagine somebody from... Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> imagine when we were, let's say, a 10 or 11-year-old, and uh, we had the opportunity to learn in a class with children from different parts of the world, right? Like somebody from Europe is learning with somebody from India, with somebody from Japan. And that, like, no matter where you go to school, it's very localized, yeah? Even if you're going to the best school, it's your, your neighborhood. So, yeah, so, uh, so it, these global classrooms are empowering for kids, which means that... Uh, we, uh, there's one curriculum, which is also very unique, one curriculum for the entire world. Today, Early Steps Academy has students from more than 20 countries. Uh, and uh, they go through this, like, uh, this, there's a seven-level program covering a range of modern subjects and more focus on things. Yeah. Mm, that makes sense. So um, tell me a little bit about um, what impact the pandemic had on Early Steps. Was it Was it actually sort of a blessing in disguise for lack of a better expression, because 
um, a lot of kids were at home and still wanting, wanting and needing to learn. And so they were able to then access the sort of remote learning that you offer. Mm-hmm. Like early steps. So by design and from birth has always been online. So mm-hmm. unlike a lot of education products, which uh, shifted uh, to digital in the like in light of what happened in the pandemic. For us, uh, it was and it will be online because in our minds, uh, a child should spend more time online or any digital device only when it adds additional value. If it's the same content or same thing just on a screen, I'm not sure where that stands. Yeah, either your reach, like the scale of reach, uh, is bigger and that only digital can provide, or you're providing additional value to the child, which physical cannot provide, yeah? So for us, one of the biggest USPs as we spoke about is that um, these powerful global classrooms, this one global curriculum, right? Like if you look at how we are speaking right now, like both of us have gone to completely different schools in very, very different parts of the world when we were kids, right? But we have come to a place where we need to interact with each other. Yeah? We need to understand each other, have meaningful conversations. The world is very global. So there's like this whole uh, like part of classroom learning being disconnected to the real world. One of the parts is that it, the early education happens in, in silos where you are learning with people who are very much like you. And then suddenly you, you know, either university, uh, if you're fortunate, or even later a job, you suddenly see this whole world, yeah, east meets the west. So by design, it has always been like that. Of course, the pandemic in general, just like widened the gap in learning, right? Like it is cross. So there were more people at early steps, there were more people at other maths programs and other language programs. So yes, there was a, a you know, a significant uh, sort of uh, acceleration in the edtech space in general. But for us, like we haven't seen uh, a sharp drop since pandemic because this is something which is supplementing school education. Yeah? This is, these are the subjects that schools do not provide with or without pandemic. Um, like even uh, when we see our registration cycles, like school beginning of school years, we uh, see a see spike because parents typically want this learning to go in parallel with the school learning. This is like you know, ten subjects in schools that. All of us have learned our parents have learned maths, physics, chemistry, bio. And then mm. there are these like thousand plus subjects from the modern world that Early Steps is providing. So irrespective of where, if a child is able to or not able to go to school, what we provide, there isn't a significant uh, sort of like, there isn't another comprehensive curriculum. Mm, that makes sense. So what was it like to, what was it like to sort of get the ball rolling in terms of enrollment? How did you get the, the message out and what is the strategy behind continuing, uh, continually getting students all over the world to enroll and get involved in the, in the program? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so the start is always difficult and different from sure. uh, where we are today. So the start was more uh, in uh, just like close-knit uh, sort of networks, yeah. We would, uh, whatever, in fact, the early start was more around just like focus groups doing, like talking to a lot of uh, teachers, a lot of like school districts in the US. We spoke to a lot of employers uh, like the Amazons of the world to understand what are the skill sets that they need in today's day and age in terms of what they're looking in their employers and then mapping it back to what children are learning in school and where the gap is. 
uh, and then like in that in those like focus groups and uh, different research uh, that was going on, we met children, and then we eventually became up, you know, uh, paid uh, uh, students. Uh, going forward, like as um, in the stage that we are at, we have operated very differently in terms of uh, what you call traditionally marketing. So we don't, uh, we hardly spend anything on any kind of ads and performance marketing. Uh, most of our customers, like 45, 50% come through references and word of mouth. So parents who like the program, they would talk about it with their peers and their friends. And uh, like even kids, when they enjoy learning, they would share it with their friends. And that's how we get most of the next uh, set of uh, children. Uh, yeah, and then because it's a global curriculum, it's uh, cross references are uh, are seamless, right? Like if a child is doing this program in Europe and has uh, parents just got transferred from they were working in Google in America, for example, or in India, so they would naturally have networks in other places and they would talk about it and they understand that referring, unlike a math or a, you know, a localized sort of subject curriculum where they, the reference is limited to your city or your country at max. The reference rates are higher because they, people can literally just refer anywhere. So yeah, so mostly organic has been our strategy. We do a lot of content-based uh, uh, strategy, which is, uh, for example, we have this uh, castle, which is a which is like a the capital word comes from case learning thing. It's a child magazine. It's for kids like ages, not kids, children ages eight to eighteen. Uh, anything that's happening in the news every month, we uh, this it's a completely free product. But every month, uh, whatever is happening in the real world, not in the world of children. Yeah, everything we do, we are trying to bridge the gap between what you learn as a child, what you're meant to what uh, the real world expects. So even things like, you know, uh, back to the queen and uh, if there was a, there's a recession in pending. So all of those things synthesized in childlike language, we put in these uh, like 10 page magazine every month, which goes to a lot of schools, a lot of kids. So those like a lot of content based blogs for parents uh, is how we basically are growing. Mm -hmm. I see. So how can people get involved with, uh, um, early steps follow you and in, in, in your story as well. Um, uh, sorry, so that's like involved as in uh, as parents or as uh, to work with early steps. Uh, yeah, as parents. So, so how can how can parents interested in getting their children involved find early steps and, and engage? What is that process like to get started? Right, right. So uh, the first step is pretty simple. Just go to the website, yeah, www.steps.co. We are not com. Uh, it's not com, co. And there's like a simple uh, form that parents can fill to try out the sessions. So one of the things that uh, we fundamentally believe uh, as, as in the mission statement that learning should be fun. So the demo session is quite crucial for us as much as it is for parents, uh, for us to know that children or a particular child is enjoying the case method of learning. Yeah, this is something which is unique. Uh, and most children have not had this experience or exposure. So it's a simple process. You sign up, uh, we schedule the free session for you, for your child basically. Uh, they do it, we connect, uh, uh, if they enjoy the program, share the details of the program, they sign up. So it's a weekly, uh, the actual program is a weekly program. Every week, um, I mean, the learning loop looks like reading the case study, which is more reading and comprehension skills. And then there's a live session, which is 
moderated discussion. There's a moderator. There are three or four students in one group. Um, there are rules like we have our own proprietary rules and frameworks uh, on thinking and speaking, like how do you structure your thoughts? Uh, how do you break down a bigger problem into smaller chunks and collaboratively come to a conclusion? How do you make decisions when things are unclear, which is real world, right? There are no right and wrong answers. So how do you actually have a process to all of these things? So these are covered through the different levels of the live sessions. And then post-trip uh, session, of course, uh, there is a learning platform and there are some light quizzes and other things just to make sure that you can remember and for a longer period of time. So yeah, that's pretty. <laughs> that's awesome. So what are your, your goals for early steps over the next 24, 36 months or so? Where, where do you envision uh, the program being by 2025? Mm -hmm. Right, right. So... Uh, what we are solving for is making uh, school children 10x confident in the real world, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you, uh, you know, listen to that statement, there's the school children, yeah, and there are 2 billion school-going children today, yeah. They're not like 1,000, 10,000, or even, you know, 100,000, so 2 billion. So it's a huge number uh, we are chasing that we would want to impact these 2 billion kids, make them ready for the real world. And with school children, it's always uh, you know at the loop. Uh, there's always more students coming in and going out of that cycle into 18. Uh, so yeah, so that's like the bigger goal. That how do we reach more students? Give them a chance to experience this uh, one curriculum, which is uh, Harvard-like curriculum for kids. Yeah. Now, uh, one of the challenges with uh, just that scale of impact that we're trying to make is uh, as we scale. How do we maintain the quality uh, right now? Mm. Everything that we do is driven by the quality of our learning. Yeah. Our central, like the team, the R&D team is bigger than our sales team. Uh, everything, like uh, we believe that if the product is good and learning is happening, children are enjoying that learning, it will sell. So uh, as we scale, as we reach more and more kids, million, half, uh, you know, one and a half million, two million, how do we ensure that quality is there? Because... Uh, schools are there, yeah, they're doing a fine job. If I'm not able to add value to, you know, the kids spending extra time with us, what's the point of doing this? So right. that is one of the <laughs> concerns. So yeah, I think we, that's not like a uh, like an immediate one-year target, but then one of the things that we notice, like as we think about reaching out and touching lives of 2 billion kids is that not all of the 2 billion kids are English-speaking. While the curriculum is global, uh, we at some point have to start thinking about translating the case studies, creating versions where we have, uh, you know, moderators who speak uh, languages other than English. For example, we have a lot of inbound interest from, let's uh, say, students and parents in Morocco, in France, and uh, we have a, uh, like quite a few kids from Europe now. But we do see that. Uh, need where it would have been nicer to have the same case study just translated in French, for example, and have a French moderator. Because what we are teaching is we are teaching them how to think, yeah, how to communicate better, how to uh, learn more about these fascinating new age up and coming topics. So that's not limited to knowing it whether you know whether you can think in English or in French or in India. Yeah. So that's like uh, one of the another thing that we're thinking in the next uh, three years that how do we if we really want to reach out to so many people how do we make it uh, again like relevant to those people who are not non English. Well, it's it sounds very exciting what you're doing and 
uh, very important to uh, in this world, which is increasingly digital and increasingly globalized to sort of bring children from all over the world together into a um, efficient learning environment. So I'm very excited to see how this continues to uh, progress. And thank you so much for being on the Action and Ambition podcast. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Dave. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks for listening to Action and Ambition with your host, Andrew Metal. Please leave a review and subscribe and go to andrewmetal.com for all the exclusive lessons, behind-the-scenes footage, and video content of the show. Follow us on Facebook and YouTube at Action and Ambition, and we'll see you on the next episode. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.